Hello, friends. Welcome. Always happy to have you. Today, I am sharing a conversation with Professor Aaron Ahuvia. And let me tell you the reason I wanted to have him on the show. He has a new book coming out called The Things We Love. How our passions connect us and make us who we are. And you guys know that I have a passion for a variety of different kinds of animals, whales, owls, eagles, etc. And it really piqued my curiosity about how the things we love connect us and make us who we are. This is just a fascinating conversation, and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's dive in. I'm Sharon McMahon, and welcome to the Sharon Says So podcast. I am really excited to chat today with Professor Erin Ahuvia, who has written a very interesting book that I think a lot of you are going to find really interesting too. Thank you so much for coming. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Oh, tell everybody a little bit more about your background. And I would love to hear the origin story of your book. So I'm a professor of marketing at the University of Michigan Dearborn campus. And the book is about the psychology of love, but a very particular type of love, which is when people love objects or activities or brands or places or all that, all that stuff that except people. And I've been working on this for a long time. I started doing this research when I was a PhD student, which was back right around 1990. And at that time, I took a course from a very famous marketing professor at Northwestern, where I was getting my PhD, a man named Philip Kotler. He was explaining to us that, you know, marketing, marketing is everything, right? If you're, you know, a religious congregation is sort of marketing itself when it gets adherents and charities market themselves when they want donations. And even people who are dating market themselves when they're trying to find the person that they want to be with. And I was single at the time. And I just thought dating, wow, that's so much more interesting than actual marketing. And so I asked him if I could do my term paper on dating. And Mm. he was very open to that and said, not only can you do your term paper on it, why don't you go meet with this Professor Mara Edelman And she has a bunch of data on a dating service. And Mm. this is when dating services were really just getting going. There were some matchmakers for ethnic communities in America, but this was just the start is before the internet. And they were getting going with singles ads and video dating and things of this sort. Mm -hmm. So I went and found her. We ended up having a really productive collaboration. We wrote five major papers together. And we were for a time the world's leading academic experts on dating services, (laughs) which is, I can say without being too arrogant because we were the only academic experts. (laughs) I guess we were also the world's least respected as well as most respected. You were in the top 1% of academics. Right, there was nobody else doing this. And we got a lot of attention. I actually went on the Oprah Winfrey show and it was a lot of fun. And to to do that work, I had to learn a lot about the psychology of love. So then a a little while later, I needed to pick something for my dissertation. And there was no way that a good business school was going to give a job to the guy who was the dating service professor. (laughs) So I needed to do something else. And I'd done all this work on the psychology of love. And so I said, well, what can I do? I know I can look at things people love. Mm -hmm. And this was the, turned out to my good fortune to be the first study 
to really look at this. I, a lot of people have talked about it, but nobody had really taken a, a hard look from a scientific perspective at what's going on. And that was some time ago. And I've continued working on it for the past almost 30 years. And so I, I finally had the opportunity to pull it all together in this book, which is called The Things We Love, How Our Passions Connect Us and Make Us Who We Are. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. One of the reasons I wanted to chat with you is because I have a lot of quirky things that I love and I happen to have a large platform on which to share said quirky things. I really like whales and bald eagles. Mm -hmm. I don't like chickens. I certainly eat them, but I don't, it's not all birds. It's really a very specific subset of raptors that I'm I'm interested in. You have rapture for the raptors? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Do you like all sea creatures? No, I don't like fish. I don't want anything to do with fish. I hate sharks. I don't care about stingrays. I could keep going. But there are a lot of things that I have a quirky fondness for. And when I was reading your book, it just was so delightful to read about how, what we love, the things we love, make us who we are and connect us to other people. Now, if it's not too personal, not too prying, I could put you on the couch a little bit as we go (laughs) I would love that. I think other people would find that interesting. Everyone has quirky things that they love. Yeah. That's very normal. In fact, I did this survey some time ago that asked just about 714 people to just name some brands that they love. Mm -hmm. And what we found is that there were a few brands, perhaps no big surprise, Apple is right up, it was number one, Nike, Samsung, a few others that a lot of people love those brands. But what was really interesting is that there weren't very many of those. And there were hundreds and hundreds of brands that only one person out of this whole survey said they loved. So for every brand that was loved by 50 people, 
there were 250 brands that were loved by just one person. So people love all kinds. It's like what people love is very idiosyncratic. And it tends to be when it comes to possessions, sometimes people love things from the moment they got them. But a lot of times people develop a love for something afterwards because you have a certain experience with the object or it takes on a certain meaning to you. And so it's very individual. But one thing that I noticed, so you talked about whales, you talked about bald eagles, mm-hmm. you got wolves. No, owls. Owls. Owls, too. not wolves. Oh, not wolves. Not owls. wolves. Owls. I like dogs, uh-huh. um, but, but only certain kinds of dogs. Right. These are what biologists call charismatic megafauna, meaning <laughs> charismatic big animals. And what do they mean to you? What do they connect to in your life? Mm. I, I have a very vivid memory of having a book that had whales in it as a child that I read a lot. I read that book a lot. And there was something about it that was just fascinating to me. Mm. I grew up in Minnesota. So mm-hmm. I don't have any like direct experiences right. with like, and then a whale came to the boat and let me pet it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have any of those. I just thought they were fascinating. Right. So part of it does go back then to your childhood. And mm-hmm. that's one of the main themes that we find with things people love, whether it's products or animals or whatever, is the things we love tend to be part of our own identity. And mm-hmm. part of that is we spend a lot of time with them. They go back to our history, right? So it's not true for everything. Sometimes you fall in love with something brand new that you've never seen before, but there is this sort of overall pattern that more often than you'd think, the things we love have this sort of connection to someone's history and mm-hmm. it experiences that way. I can see that. Um, but then there's there's also the issue with the with the birds. When did you start falling in love with these birds? How old were you? And what was the meaning to you at that point? Well, I had a pet bird when I was growing up. Certainly not a bald eagle. (laughs) Uh, We had a cockatiel. She was also very quirky. And we had a series of cockatiels. So I had a a fondness, perhaps, that developed for certain types of birds. Maybe they had certain characteristics. But I also live in a place in northern Minnesota that is one of the largest raptor migratory patterns is along the shores of Lake Superior. as birds travel from Canada to the yeah. South to breed and then back and forth in the spring and fall. So I grew up seeing a lot of raptors. I wouldn't say that I was obsessed with them as a child. I was just more aware of like, oh, that's cool. Right. So if the owl of a, of a magic wizard came along and transformed the owl into a person and the magic wizard is going to do this for the cockatiel also, what kind of people would they be? Mm. Owls to me have a very sort of ancient wisdom kind of vibe to them. So to me, an owl, if it were to transform into a human, would be almost that sort of like a Gandalf wizard archetype. Oh, interesting. I can totally see that. There are certain things I get from you already. And one is that you're not a person who has a very hard time expressing themselves. You're not a person who can't find the words for things, Mm -hmm. right? Right. But I think the reason people listen to you, you don't present yourself as like, oh, I'm the big expert on everything. Listen to me, et cetera, et cetera. 
But there is sort of lurking in the background a kind of wisdom to your perspective. And I think that's what your listeners look for oh. and find in your podcast. And so I think the owl kind of fits with you in a certain way. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and one of the things that connects people, like makes people love certain things, is that they reflect the person's identity. And of course, our identity always has two parts. We have the, the person that we are right now and the person that we want to be in the future that we aspire to. Mm -hmm. and, and things that we love can connect with either one, but mm -hmm. it's great if they connect with both. And I think that there's something about the owl for you that sort of connects both with the person that you are, the person that you were in childhood because you saw these, but also a person that you aspire to, that you admire, who has this wisdom that you would like to cultivate. I'll tell you that this general tendency that people have, if you ask them to personify the things that they love, they very frequently will pick a person who is like themselves. Mm. So, you know, I have examples in the book about a guy who loved his computer. And I said, well, if it was a person, who would it be? And he'd say, oh, I think it would be sort of Edwardian English gentleman, <laughs> right? And then he's, you know, I think I would have made a good Edwardian English gentleman. <laughs> so there's, this, there's this sort of connection there. How can humans use objects to better connect with other people? That's such a good question. It does happen sometimes. I mean, most of the time when we love things, they do provide some sort of an, an emotional bridge to another person. And that's usually a good thing. There are times when things might start out that way, but then the person gets so obsessed with the objects that instead of connecting them to other people, they become an impediment to their relations uh, mm. with, with other people. Sort of like a, a Frankenstein's monster, right? You create this thing, hoping it will, maybe unconsciously, hoping it'll connect you to other people but instead it becomes almost like a substitute for other people. And that, that's tough. One of the things that I'm interested in are groups that meet on a regular basis. Poker night is a perfect example of this, or a book group or a knitting circle. And a lot of times people who play poker are in a book group or whatever it is, this is a really good way to keep relationships going because you don't have to recreate the relationship. You don't have to find a new appointment all the time. It's just going to happen. And then over time, those people really become a close part of your life. And so this is one of the things that I really advocate for people is if you love something, see if you can find other people who share that interest and use that as a basis for some sort of an ongoing group. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend, but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. We've all had those embarrassing moments where maybe you've taken your shoes off and you realize like, oh no. Oh no, that is not a good smell. Fortunately, 
Lumi whole body deodorant is making it so none of us ever have to worry about that again. Unlike certain other products, Lumi is powered by mandelic acid to control odor in a new way. It delivers outrageous 72-hour odor control everywhere one might like to use it. In fact, it was patients' concerns about odor that originally inspired the OBGYN who invented Lumi. Fast forward six years and her game-changing whole body deodorant now has over 300,000 five-star reviews. And it works without using heavy perfumes that mask odor, which I really appreciate. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, which is my favorite, and two free products of your choice, like deodorant wipes or a mini body wash. It also has free shipping. And as a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that's like 40% off their starter pack. So use code SHARON at lumideodorant.com. That's L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. Mother's Day is almost here. And I want to take just a quick second to appreciate not only my mom, all the moms out there, but anyone who has taken on the role of caregiver. You do everything for someone else. And now it's time to do something for yourself. And that includes starting with your skin. And I've been using our sponsor OneSkins products for a while now. And I have to tell you, I am really enjoying them. They are very easy to incorporate into my skincare routine. I am really liking the eye cream. And the secret is OneSkins proprietary OS1 peptide. It is the first ingredient proven to switch off the aging cells that cause lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. And they have several studies to back it up. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code SHARON at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code SHARON. And after your purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support this show and tell them we sent you. Do you feel like the internet has been a useful tool in connecting us with other people who love the same objects, love the same things that we do? Or has that been to the detriment of humanity? It's really hard to say. I know because it, it, it has such strong positives and strong negatives associated with it. I do know, I will say that for people who love quirky things, there's a lot of people the internet has allowed them to connect in ways they probably would never have before. I have a friend who collects Pez dispensers, and she can find thousands of other people around the world who collect Pez dispensers. And there would be no way in her normal life, aside from that, that she could have made that type of a connection in any practical way. And you can develop, people do develop real relationships through these sort of connections, even if the relationship happens online. However, there is some research-backed evidence that connecting to people online isn't a full substitute for connecting face-to-face. -face. And 
to the extent that people, it's so easy to get sucked in to online that it, it can take away just the time and energy we need. And also I think the motivation we need sometimes to make the face-to-face -face relationships work, even though they're the most rewarding. One of the things I've, I've noticed as a marketing professor that's a little bit scary is there's a lot of times where people might say, okay, like home cooked food tastes better than fast food and it's far more nutritious and it's often less expensive than fast food, but it's not as convenient as fast food. And for human beings, mediocre but convenient beats excellent but inconvenient a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And we don't want that to happen to our lives. You don't want that to happen mm -hmm. to your social lives. You don't want sort of mediocre but convenient relationships to eclipse the deeper but less convenient relationships mm -hmm. in your life. I can't give you a global judgment, but I, I can tell people that, yes, go on the internet and connect with people who share your obscure little passion. That's fabulous. But there is a caveat there that you still need to make sure you're getting your emotional nutrition from face-to-face -face relationships. Mm, that's such a great illustration because human, it, I've, I've read that many times that for most people, good enough is good enough. Right. That most people are not like, listen, it's caviar or nothing for dinner. Right. You know, most people are just like pizza is good enough. And so good enough is good enough for a lot of people. And so that is such a great way of putting that, that we cannot let our default of like, it's fine. You know, the relationships we have online, it, that's fine. We can't let that eclipse the more inconvenient, but very necessary interpersonal relationships we have in real connections. Right. And there's a whole junk food issue that is really relevant here. So mm -hmm. we evolved as that in such a, an environment, human beings evolved, that the food that tasted the best to us was often the most nutritious. That's why it tastes good to us. It's, we evolved mm -hmm. to like things that provided us the calories and the nutrition we needed. Of late, we have started doing something where we strip out a lot of the nutrition from food and it tastes good, but it's like junk food, but it doesn't have the nutritional value. However, when you eat it, you still feel full. So you're going to eat this stuff, you feel full, you feel satisfied, but you start over time to feel crummy and to be unhealthy because the nutrition isn't coming along with it. And what happens, I think, in relationships is the kind of deeper relationships that you have with more intimate friends on a face-to-face -face basis, they provide you with a kind of emotional nutrition that other more superficial relationships do not. And you don't necessarily notice immediately after spending time that you've either got this nutrition or haven't got this nutrition, but it creeps up on you. And if your relationship diet is sort of junk food all the time with relationships that, that feel rewarding for a moment, but don't have the depth of connection that you need, then you end up emotionally malnourished. And one of the things that shows up is loneliness. And we have a huge amount of loneliness in our society. Mm. I feel like that's a great way of just perfectly illustrating that point that we need. It's great to have junk food sometimes. And sometimes it's, it's even a little better than junk food. Sometimes it has some nutrition, but we still need that 
that we still need those servings of vegetables. Yeah, <laughs> and they can taste really good. And, and just, and your, your relationships with people can feel really good. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but yeah. it does, it's a, it's a higher effort thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see that. It is a lot more effort, frankly. Yeah. To be oh, like, what are, what are you doing? Oh no, you're busy tomorrow. Okay. What about Thursday? You know, like the amount of work it requires to get together with people in real life uh, is much more than it is to just drive by and some comments on it, the interwebs. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I would love to know what you think the future looks like when it comes to the things we love. How is that going to change in your estimation? It's really interesting. So there's three main things that allow us to love objects or activities. So first off, before I even get to those three, right, there's sort of quality, right? So, so we value things. If something's really useful to us, if it's really good quality, we place a very high value on it. But valuing something is not the same as loving that thing. So the question is, if something's really good, that'll get you to value it. But what takes you to the next step? What makes people actually love something? Mm -hmm. And to mm -hmm. take that next step, you need at least one uh, of three things. And that is either the, the thing itself looks or feels like a person, it's anthropomorphic. The, the second thing is that, as we were talking about, it connects you to another person. So you love that thing and your brain is like, well, I'm gonna, it's kind of like a person because it's really connected to their, this other person. And so your brain is really kind of loving that other person along with the thing. And the third is that it's a part of your own identity. And if it's a part of you and you're a person, then yeah, fine, your brain is gonna treat it 
sort of like a person. So you need one of these three ways of sort of humanizing in some way, the object or the activity. Mm -hmm. um, and all three of those are gonna change due to technology in the future. Mm -hmm. So the one that I think is easiest to understand, maybe we'll focus on this, and you can get to the others if you want later, is just anthropomorphism. Uh, people frequently love objects if the object looks or sounds or acts like a person mm -hmm. in some way. And in the future, that is going to get way, way better than it is. So even now, with our really not very good impersonations of people, people can really fall in love with objects and really feel connected to objects that talk to them. Mm -hmm. In the future, which is not that far away, not only will your phone talk to you, but your phone will actually say smart and insightful things. Your phone will become a good conversationalist. And the odds on a person sort of connecting with that uh, in a deep way are gonna go way, way up. So right now, it's extremely rare. But in the future, when the alternatives of objects through technology are much more appetizing, there is a scary possibility that people will wanna do that. Mm. Um, and and these, these things are gonna be tempting because they're gonna be convenient and they're gonna be easy. Right? If you wanna be in a relationship with a friend and you want the friend to listen to your boring stories, well, you have to listen to their boring stories. But that cell phone friend is just gonna listen to your boring stories and tell you how wonderful you are. It's never gonna, gonna ask anything of you. It's going to look at all your vacation pictures. Absolutely. And just every single one is going to be fabulous. <laughs> and I worry about first the substituting for human relationships. And I also worry about it degrading our relationships. What if we come to expect other people to be like that? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's very unrealistic. Yeah. I mean, the future of AI, we could talk about that all day long. AI is fascinating and also terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Super useful. Like it's going to be one of those things that's like, you know, an airplane, incredible tool, but you can also use it to fly it into a building, exactly. you know, and kill people with it. So the same is likely true of AI, which we won't get too into, but super useful tool. They'll probably have incredible medical uses in terms of things like diagnostics and being able to help us avoid mistakes and things along those lines. But it also has some terrifying prospects of what it will be capable of in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. and, and already people are, you know, they have these programs they've had for quite a while. There's one that was created to be sort of like a psychologist and it just, it's a, it's a fairly simple program. And you, it'll say like, tell me about your day. And you'll say, well, I went to work. And it'll say, tell me about work. How was work, right? It just picks like mm -hmm. the words out of your sentence and repeats them back to you. People really get attached to this. Mm. And it's not doing anything very complicated, but people get very involved in, in this sort of thing. And so it is a little scary to think about what might happen when it gets good. Mm. I know people are going to be curious. What are some things that you love? Ah, 
I should be better prepared for this question. Um, <laughs> it's sort of an obvious question. I, I well, I love music. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, I love music and I love my stereo system. I've always been a bit of an audiophile, mm-hmm. uh, but there is a tension there that I know I have to manage because sometimes people who are into stereos, we can get so into the stereo that we stop listening to the music and we just start listening to the stereo. Mm. You put on, instead of thinking about what's happening in the music, you're, you're wondering like, how does that sound? Is that you know, is that really clear or what have you? It can be very distracting. And so it is something that I, I work on. And I made a point a, a number of years ago to stop in my leisure time reading. I like to read while listening to music. I make a point now of reading articles about music and avoiding articles about stereos mm. so that I can sort of keep my focus on what I really find, you know, the most rewarding there. And if your stereo was a person, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we could talk about the psychology of music too. That's that's a whole other topic. But music right. obviously does something very unique in the human brain that causes us to feel emotions way more than a lot of other experiences yeah. do. But it- it's one of the things I loved about the book is I got to go into the psychology of why people enjoy certain things. Mm-hmm. Because things that we love are pleasurable to us. They're not just good. If something is, is, is high quality, but it doesn't, you don't enjoy it. People yeah. very rarely love those things. Yeah. It's going to actually provide some sort of a, a, a pleasure to it. And I think part of that is that the pleasure people are looking to understand their own identity, to understand themselves. And pleasure is a signal to us that something is an authentic part of our identity. When you listen Mm. to a song and you just like it, you're like, okay, that tells me something about who I am. I'm the kind of person Mm. who likes this music. Whereas you listen to something and you think, well, that was very carefully produced and written, but I didn't enjoy it. Mm -hmm. That's not... It doesn't reflect you. It doesn't reflect who you are. It's not an authentic part of you. Mm-hmm. And so people, people love things that give them pleasure, partly because the pleasure itself is nice, and partly because that gives us a clue about who we are as people. Mm. I loved visiting your website, thethingswelove.com, because it has a bunch of amusing pictures. One of the things I also love is humor. And... I love your, the pictures you have on your website where it's like, Marcos loves books. <laughs> Betty loves her house. And then it has kind of like a funny picture. And I, I, so I have pictures on the website and these are just from people who have, are interested in this. And I, I would love if your listeners, any of your listeners, if you love something, go to my website, thethingswelove.com mm-hmm. and you'll find a link there where you can upload a picture just of you posing with something that you love. Mm-hmm. And if I get it, I may be able to put it up on the website into rotation with the other ones. And you can see just people posing with things that they love. It's very, it's very sweet. It is. I think it's very fun. Mark J loves chai latte. Yeah. Arlene loves stuffed animals. <laughs> They are very funny and the pictures people send in are very amusing, but you also have a quiz on your website called 
is it really love? Tell me a little bit more about this quiz. So one of the things that I did with two colleagues, Rajiv Batra and Rick Bogosi, are both at the University of Michigan. They're at the Ross School of Business. Is we had a huge, many, many year research project on th- things that people love and brands that people love. And one of the outcomes was this measure that's very scientifically developed and tested and verified that measures the extent to which people love things by answering a, a few questions about them. Mm-hmm. And so if you go to the website, you can type in something that you love and it'll get inserted into these questions and you just answer, you know, to what extent does this say something, for example, says something true and deep about who I am. So you'll answer a bunch of questions like that. And then it'll pop out a score for you that you can then see based on the scale. Is that true love or is that sort of love or is that not love? And it's fun. Um, it, it, it's fun to sort of, it's almost like kind of a horoscopy kind of thing, except mm-hmm. horoscopes are a matter of faith, whereas this is very scientifically evidence-backed information. Mm. All right. If somebody were to buy the things we love, they can pre-order it now. It's coming out in July. If they were going to read it, what would be something that you would hope they would take away from it? I would hope that they would come to appreciate sort of the depth of our relationship with a lot of things. That there are a lot of things in our life, most things in our life, our relationship is not at all deep with them, right? I get like, the, as I said, the milk carton example, but there are some special things and they could be objects, they could be activities. Nature is a huge one for people, but we have this kind of, accidental ability to love things, people did not evolve to love things. People evolved to value things, greater or lesser extent, and to love some particular people. But our ability to love things is kind of a happy evolutionary accident. It didn't come about because it's advantageous to us evolutionarily to love things. But it turns out to be really personally rewarding and a a really nice thing. And what it does, it allows us to take love, which is the best thing in life, and and bring it into more of our life. So that it's not just limited to time that you're with people. You can love your surroundings and you can love your activities that you engage in. And it just brings more love into the world and into our lives. Hmm. Makes our lives richer. It makes lives your life more worth living. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, I love that. Well, this was a very fascinating read and a very delightful conversation. Thank you so much for your time. And the book, again, is called The Things We Love. Thank you, Sharon. It's been really a pleasure. And anytime you want to talk about this or anything else, be in touch. It's been a, a, a great activity. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Sharon Says So podcast. I am truly grateful for you. And I'm wondering if you could do me a quick favor. Would you be willing to follow or subscribe to this podcast or maybe leave me a rating or a review? Or if you're feeling extra generous, would you share this episode on your Instagram stories or with a friend? All of those things help podcasters out so much. 
This podcast was written and researched by Sharon McMahon and Heather Jackson. It was produced by Heather Jackson, edited and mixed by our audio producer, Jenny Snyder, and hosted by me, Sharon McMahon. I'll see you next time.